Um, we are uh, excited to be continuing our series called Letters, uh, which are letters to the seven churches of Revelation that Jesus has specific words for each of these different seven churches. And we talked about last week how there were uh, different ways of looking at it. And the way that we're going to look at the seven churches in Revelation is that they're historical, local churches that Jesus had a message for. And so uh, there are these historical, local churches, as Jesus spoke to them 2,000 years ago, he wants to speak to us through these messages as well. And so um, we're going to start... Uh, in a couple moments, we're going to be Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. If you want to get your Bibles ready, if you have like headlamps or flashlights, or if you want to uh, go ahead and um, pull it up on your phone, uh, you can do that as well. We're just going through four verses, but uh, we have a lot that we'll be able to, uh, to take from there. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to get started? Father, we thank you so much that you are here in this place, uh, that you are meeting us here tonight, and that each and every one of us are people who have been loved or created by you, formed by you, and are loved by you. So Lord, I pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts to what you have for us. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, and that you would um, change our lives and give us the courage we need to face whatever it is that we're facing. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, not too long ago, um, I had the opportunity, we, we were at a pool party, and um, there was a time in which uh, Elise, my youngest, uh, she's five years old, and she walked up uh, to where there's like a slide that you could slide down uh, the, the water slide and into the pool. Now, the slide itself was a little bit elevated over the pool, and then the pool could be, it was a little bit deeper on that side, obviously, in order to make sure that um, everyone's fine. But I was able to stand um, barely, insert short person joke here, it's fine, I'm okay with it. Um, but I was able to stand there, and she would go to the very top, and she was, you know, kind of getting up the courage to be able to, to make the jump, or in this case, to, to slide down. And so she would go there, and she would sit, and I'm like, okay, honey, I've got you, I'm here with you, I, I'll hold on to you. And she'd sit there, and I'd be like, okay, I'm ready anytime. And then she would get back up, and then she would start walking back. And then I'm like, okay, okay. And then, again, she gets back, and she's ready now. You know, someone else would go down, and, and she's ready. I'm like, okay, honey, we're ready. I got you. I'm not going to let you fall. Nothing's going to happen to you. And she would sit down, ready to go, and then get up and walk back. And, and I'm not over-exaggerating that we probably did this well over a dozen times. And every time, it's like I'm trying to think of, is there a new way that I could say it? Is there a different thing I could do? Does she just wish I was taller? I don't know. But um, just trying to figure out, like, what can I do to help her have courage to do something I know she wants to do? I know she's fully capable of. But there are times in which, for all of us, like her, there are things we want to do that we're capable of, but we're too fearful to do. Our sermon tonight is called Take Courage, and, and I want to give another example of um, many of us have seen uh, the uh, Wizard of Oz, and when we think about courage, who do we think about from the Wizard of Oz? Cow the lion, the cowardly lion, right? And so in one of the instances um, when he's talking to Dorothy, and, and they're all there, uh, there's a, a line when Dorothy says, my goodness, what a fuss you're making. Well, naturally, when you go around picking on things weaker than you are, why, you're nothing but a big, great coward. And the cowardly lion is crying, says, you're right, I am a coward. I haven't any courage at all. I even scare myself. And then she says, he says, look at my, the circles around, under my eyes. I haven't slept in weeks. The tin man says, well, why don't you count sheep? 
just, I can't, I'm scared of them too. Right, and so this idea of this cowardly lion who was just so afraid and had to go on this journey through the Wizard of Oz in order to hopefully, potentially be able to find courage. That there are some of us that we're losing sleep because we're fearful of something. There are circles under our eyes because of a fear that we have, a, a worry that we have, a, a concern or something that is causing us um, to be afraid. For some of us, there are things that God wants to do in us and through us, and we want to do, we're capable of, yet we still don't take courage. And so as we look at our passage tonight, which is looking at the church of Smyrna, we're going to notice this idea that Jesus, for our main point, Jesus will give us courage to face suffering. The question is whether we will take it or leave it. Our topic is take courage, and so Jesus will give us courage to face suffering. We'll see that here. We've seen that in people's lives that we know and love. He'll give us courage. The question is not, will he give it to us? It's, will we take it, or will we leave it? Will we stay on top of the proverbial water slide, waiting? Will we take the leap? Will we stay with sleepless nights, or will we take courage and have a new morning dawn and be able to go and do whatever it is that God calls us to do or wherever he may call us to go. Jesus will give us courage to face suffering. The question is whether we will take it or leave it. Now, as we look at the, the story of Smyrna or the, the church in Smyrna, I'm going to read the, first, the four verses of our passage, then we'll kind of go back and refer to a few of them. So again, this is the church of Smyrna, Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right, again, these are the words of Jesus giving this letter to the angel or the messenger at the church of Smyrna. Second part of verse 8 says this, These are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So we want to unpack this because, you know, as we look through the seven churches over the next several weeks, you're going to notice that there is a, a consistent structure that happens almost every time with the seven different churches. And there's a consistent structure that Jesus, it's, it's the same order. Um, and so here's, here's what they usually are. There's the same structure that the letters have Jesus addressing the church. In our case here, it says to the angel of the church of Smyrna. That's the address. The second part is how Jesus identifies himself. This time he identifies himself as the first and the last, the one who died and came back to life. Then we see his commendation or his commending or encouraging the church. What is it about this church that bears encouragement? Then we see how, what is it that he condemns or what is he saying, I have this against you. Last week, if you recall, he had a bunch of things he commended. He said, you're doing these great things. There's a list of like seven of them. But he says, but... I have this against you. You've lost your first love. You can refer to that in Revelation 2, verse 4, just a few verses previous here. But 
this is the, that's the example of a condemnation or, or a, a something that he has against them, an admonition, if you will. After that, we see a, an actual warning for the church. Uh, it says, if you don't do this, this is what will happen. Last week, the idea is, is if you don't change, then, then the lampstand will be taken from you. Um, lampstand, as you look at Revelation 1 verse 20, refers to the idea of the church itself. So he's basically saying, if you don't recall your first love last week, if you don't recall your first love, then the church will be taken out of the city of Ephesus, which eventually happened. Last week, as we talked about, doing the right thing without love is the wrong thing. So he gives a warning to say what would take place. The next thing we see is an exhortation. He says, for anyone who will hear what um, has to be said, um, excuse me, he says, whoever has ears, let him hear what it is. He's exhorting us to pay attention. And the last thing is a promise of what will take place. And so this is kind of the basic structure. And for the most part, this is the structure you will see for these seven churches. However, there are exceptions to this basic structure. And when there are exceptions to the rule, that often draws our attention to the exception, right? We notice, okay, what's different? Why is this different? And so one of those examples of an exception actually occurs with the church of Smyrna. Because if you were to quickly look back at verses 8 through 11, you'll see that he introduces himself, he, he writes, he addresses the church, he introduces himself, he commends them, he doesn't condemn them. There, there's nothing that he's saying, I have this against you. And because there's no condemnation, there's also not a warning against them. The, the closest thing to a warning is basically saying, hey, you're going to face persecution, but there's not a threat or a, a consequence on the other side of that that's negative. So because that's different, we want to pay attention to what is it about Smyrna that was going on that he didn't condemn them. In fact, if you looked at this, the reason we talk about taking courage is that what Jesus does is he breathes life. He encourages in the sense that he puts courage inside of the hearts of the church of Smyrna. Because he knows what they're about to experience. And he wants them to take courage. Jesus will give us courage to face suffering the question is whether we will take it or leave it. So here, one of the, one of the points we talk about here, we want to, what does it look like for how, what helps us to take courage based on some of the points in this passage? The first one that we see is that we take courage when we remember who Jesus is. What's the first way that he introduces himself? I am the first and the last. When we remember the fact that Jesus was at the very beginning of all creation. We studied Colossians earlier uh, in the summer, and it talked about the, the idea of he was the, the firstborn of all creation, but in him and through him all things were made. It talks about that in Acts 17, and how all of creation was under Jesus as a footstool, that Jesus was there from the very beginning. He was the first. And then also he is the last. He will be there at the very end. He is not just here for the 33 years he lived on earth. He has been eternal, part of the triune God, part of the Trinity from the very beginning and will be till the very end. He's the first and he is the last. There's a question I have for you. When you think about the things that are causing us to, to be afraid right now, I imagine that a great percentage of the things that we worry about or are fearful of, or, or more, let's focus on worry for a moment. A lot of the things that we are worried about are often things from our past that we can't change or things that may happen in our future that we can't control. 
things that we are afraid that might happen. And so, you know, I've heard like 90% of what we worry about are things that may never come to fruition. Of course, I've also heard that 68% of statistics are made up. So you can guess which one, if that made up that number. I don't know. That's just a guess. But this idea of recognizing that there are things that we worry about, we, we stress about, well, what if this and what if that? And then all of a sudden we've caused emotional anxiety or frustration or difficulty or consternation about something that may never happen. It would be like me worrying about how I'd perform in the NBA finals when I'm never going to play there, right? Again, insert short joke here. But recognizing that we, we often worry about things. So why is this important? It's important because if we remember who Jesus is, that he is the first and he is the last, that means that we know that he is big enough to, to know everything that's happened in our lives. He's big enough to know everywhere we're going to go and what we're going to face. And he'll give us courage to face our suffering. The question is whether we will take it or leave it. So are we going to take courage rather than be consumed by worry? And I listened to a song called Abide in Me, and I forget the name of the artist right now, but he has this beautiful line, and it's sung from the perspective of Jesus. It has a lot of the I am statements from the Gospel of John. But one of the things he says is, I am the first, I am the last, I hold the middle. The things that you and I are worried about, whether it's the past that we can't change, the present that we don't understand, or the future that we can't control, Jesus holds us and holds the middle in the palm of his hand. That this almighty God is with us, he holds us, he never leaves us, and he pours courage into us. In addition... We also take courage when we remember what Jesus went through. How else does he introduce himself? Not only does he have the first and the last, he says, the, the one who died and came back to life or came to life again. That he's about, he's giving them a clue that they're gonna face suffering, persecution, some of them to the point of death. And yet he, as one who died from suffering and persecution to the point of death, could then give encouragement and say, but listen, that's not the be-all, end-all. There's a crown of victory waiting for you. Let me give you courage. I'll pour it into you. I'll give it to you in the midst of suffering. Will you take it or leave it? He's encouraging the Smyrna church, and he's talking about how because I've been there and I've done that, I can tell you that I'll be with you through it and that you'll be able to make it through. Whether it's here in the first death, we see a reference to the second death. The first death is the physical death. The second death we see in Revelation refers to often the lake of fire, but it, but it also means this idea of, a, of a eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from him because we don't have relationship with him. And so we, we end up in hell rather than experiencing eternity in heaven with him. So what does this look like? When we know someone who's been through what we're about to face, they can speak encouragement into us to give us the courage to to face the next part of our journey. You know, I think it was November of 2003, uh, a couple friends of mine, uh, we were at UC San Diego, and we decided to go skydiving. Um, it was like, I think it was Veterans Day weekend, and so we, uh, we went skydiving out here in, well, not out here, but in Hamul, so out there, um, 
but we went skydiving, and so I have a couple pictures. We'll go kind of slowly through them, but uh, the first picture I have is my friend had just got flown out of, I was like the second or third in line, and so my roommate went out, and so he jumped out, and then this is me, like, he just went out of the door there, and this is the camera, because of course I paid for evidence so that people like you would believe me that I actually did this, um, and so, you know, I had this here, and this is that moment of like, okay, there's really no getting away from this right now, right? Like, this is moment of just acknowledging, okay, my friend just went out of the door. I, I, there's no choice for me. I'm, I'm going to be here, uh, and we're going to get out of this plane through that door that my roommate just went out of. The next picture here is, um, you can see the, um, thankfully, when it comes to skydiving, there, when you haven't done it before, uh, they have you go tandem, right? And so I just given my life to the Lord. I just become a Christian, and I found a little bit of peace, right, knowing that when I was introduced to uh, the man who was gonna be the professional who was gonna help me out, his name was Christian. I'm like, all right, God, you got me. Then we're gonna be good. Uh, it's important for us to have Christians to watch our back, right? And so we end up having this time where. Um, he's just saying, okay, here's what we're going to do, and he's speaking, and he's talked about how, you know, he tried to play nonchalant, I'm like, you know, so like, how many, like, you know, jumps have you done? He's like, oh, you know, there's days I've done a dozen in one day. This is someone who's been to where I was going and could give me courage in the midst of it. So then, after this, what do we do? We're right at the edge of the door, then we jump, right? And then, uh, I threw in this other one, you may not be able to see it, but I'll throw it in. Let's go to the next one, um... You probably can't quite see it because of the, the quality of the video, um, but my cheeks are uh, oscillating in a way that does not seem normal. And so um, I realized, like, I was opening my mouth, cause, like, yeah, and, like, my, with this, all the things that happen, two things at once. One is my cheeks start, like, undulating or waving uh, like a wave. Two, my mouth immediately becomes dry because all of a sudden the air just came in and took it all out. So... That one was more just for fun. But all of a sudden, I knew because Christian had been where I'd been and knew what it was going to be like, he could say, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to take care of this for you. He was able to pour courage into me, to give me courage. And I had the choice when I'm in the plane. I can either take it and jump or leave it and stay in the plane. We have courage when we remember what Jesus went through. He died and came back to life. He had experienced the pain and the persecution the Smyrna church was going to experience. And he came back to life, gave them courage in the midst of that. The third point is that we take courage when we hear that the duration of our suffering is shorter than that of our victory. That the amount of time we suffer is going to be shorter than the ex victory we experience. We see this here specifically um, in verse, uh, excuse me real quick, verse 10. When he talks about how you will be put to the, t the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, when you're in the midst of persecution and suffering and pain, 10 days feels like an eternity, especially if there's persecution or, or you're being harmed. So it's not diminishing that, but recognize the contrast here. It's saying 10 days in Genesis 25, I believe it is, they refer to 10 days as a, it, it, it's an example of a shorter period of time as opposed to the eternity in which they would receive the crown of victory, the crown of life. It's this acknowledgement that they would face persecution, but the persecution wouldn't last forever. The duration of their suffering would be much shorter than the duration or the longevity of their victory. 
Now, we have to unpack for a couple moments why was it they're experiencing suffering. And part of it had to do with the fact that um, you know, the city of Smyrna was a city that is now in modern-day Izmir, Turkey. So the city itself is still there. Uh, Smyrna means bitter, uh, like a bitter herb. Um, it also comes, uh, has the same word or the same connection to the word of uh, myrrh, which when it comes to f- gold, frankincense, and myrrh is one of the three gifts that the wise men gave uh, to Jesus. And gold represented his royalty, that he was a king. Frankincense uh, was part of the incense that they would um, that they would use at like the tabernacle or the temple, so it represented worship, and he he was God. And myrrh was um, an oil or something that they used for mourning and for death. So Smyrna names means bitter, connected to death, and yet out of the bitterness and the death is one of is one of two churches that gets no condemnation; it gets only courage from Jesus. Now, there was a part of a, 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 there were some imperial cults there. Let me unpack that. That The imperial, so referring to the Roman Empire, cult, people who would believe and worship that, the Caesar himself. In fact, it got to the point where what they would do is they would proclaim Caesar is Lord. That's how you would show your commitment to Caesar as being God to be worshipped. And so as a church, to reject Caesar is Lord and to proclaim Jesus is Lord was completely contradictory. And so they started to be um, persecuted um, by some of the Romans there, some of the, the, the Gentiles that were there. The church specifically also experienced uh, some of the um, persecution from other Jewish people, which you see here when it talks about how people who say they are Jews, but they are synagogue of Satan. Just this idea that there are people who said they were following God, but they were truly um, anything but. And we see Jesus using similar language when he talks to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 that says that you go across the ocean to try to evangelize or to reach people, and then you make them twice the son of hell that you are. Don't let anyone make you think that Jesus was only soft and cuddly. He had incredibly piercing, truthful words that we need to allow to that truth to pierce into our hearts sometimes as well. And then also, these persecutions made their way known, or, or rather they were exhibited by the fact that they, uh, the Smyrna church was... Um, incredibly poor, that they lost jobs, they were unemployable because they didn't believe that Caesar was Lord, they believed that Jesus was Lord. So he talks about how I know your poverty, I know you, I see you, I acknowledge what you're going through. That Jesus now, the one who's the first and the last and holds the middle, he knows you and he sees you and he knows what you're going through right now. And he'll give you the courage to face suffering. The question is whether you'll take it or leave it. So we see that he then talks about how they were rich, and that points to the fact that Matthew 5, 10 through 12, when, when Jesus talks about, blessed are you when you face persecution, for you will receive a reward. So the richness that Jesus is telling the Smyrnans that they have has nothing to do with physical, material, or financial wealth. It is the crown of righteousness, the crown of victory that we see here. That when he refers to the crown of victory, it's the Stephanos, which is uh, where Stephanie uh, gets the name Stephanie or Stephen. It's this idea of, you know, it's a crown one. And it was the, the wreath that was made out of laurel wreaths that you would win if you were participating in the games, in Olympic games. Or in any athletic competition, you would receive the victor's crown. It's why people say don't rest on your laurels. Don't rest on your past victories that will fade because it's a laurel leaf. It'll fade. 
Don't rest on your laurels. But all that to say, the suffering that they face, 10 days in comparison to this idea that our crown is not like laurels that will fade. It is a crown that is imperishable, a crown that lasts forever, a crown that Jesus bestows, a crown that gives us life through our victories, through him. That 2 Corinthians 4 has the idea that our light and momentary troubles are nothing compared to the glory and the, the, the weight of the glory that we receive in Christ Jesus. Our momentary troubles, as much and as hard and as painful as this life can be, our whole lives may feel painful, that, but in the span of eternity, that's, that's 10 days compared to eternity and the victor's crown that comes with knowing Jesus. So we take courage when we remember who Jesus is. We take courage when we remember what Jesus went through. We take courage when we hear that the duration of our suffering is shorter than that of our victory. And finally, we take courage when we remember that victory comes when we hold on faithfully to the one who is faithful to us. When we hold on faithfully to the one who is faithful to us. As Jesus says it, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Again, the first death was the physical death. The second death is separation from God. If you are faithful and you pursue God and you have a relationship with Jesus, no matter what persecution, suffering, or pain that we experience here, we don't have to worry about being eternally separated from him in eternity. That we get eternal life. Eternal life doesn't just mean going to heaven when you die. Eternal life is knowing Jesus and the Father who sent him, as John 17, 3 says. So it's this idea of reminding ourselves that we ought to hold on faithfully, that we don't get the victor's crown by being the hardest worker, by being the one with the most talent, by being the one who is just the richest or the one who is the funniest or the smartest. We don't get that by doing any of those things. We don't get it by having life be comfortable for us and easy for us. We get the victor's crown by being faithful by holding on faithfully to the one who has always been faithful to us. Not that we always see and know what he's doing, but when we see and know him, then we can trust that whatever he's doing is for our good and meets us where we are. In the summer when we went to the beach, uh, another story with Elise that we would go and Elise often liked to be in the sand and then Shaylin often loves being in the water. And for whatever reason, this time we went to the beach, it was swapped. And so Shaylin was kind of playing with the sand and, and kind of closer to where the towel was. And Elise and I were over by the water. And we were kind of standing, you know, near where the water's coming in. And, you know, we we're kind of first just kind of getting our toes wet. But then as, as the water came and we were like doing that thing where you kind of hold yourself still. And then it feels like you're moving, but really just the water coming back out. And throughout the whole thing... You know, we get a little bit deeper. We never went, like, dangerously deep. But do you know what she was doing the entire time that we were there? Holding my hand. She's holding on faithfully to the one who is going to keep an eye out for her, going to give her courage. And she would, like, hold one finger, and then that finger would get cold, so I'd have to, like, move it, you know. But it's just this idea of, of holding on tightly in the same way that a daughter will hold on tightly to her dad while trying to face waves 
we can hold on tightly to our dad, our Abba, our father, when we're facing waves and suffering difficulty in our lives. We don't need to be perfect to receive the crown. We just are called to be faithful. So as we close this evening, I have a question that you may, not, you may have the answer right away when I ask you this question. Others of you might need to take this question, write it down, and, and ask God what the answer is in your quiet time to pray it. But the question is this, in what area of your life do you need courage? Is it because you are trying to reach some friends from school and you just know that, you know, how am I going to do that? How am I going to share about Jesus? How am I going to live a testimony of Jesus when we're on Zoom or distant learning? What does that look like? I need courage to speak to someone that God has put in my heart. Maybe it's someone that, or maybe it's something where you need courage to change your job or to change a career. Maybe it's the courage to have a difficult conversation that you've been dreading for years, but you know needs to happen. Maybe it's courage because you're facing a diagnosis that you never wanted to hear. Maybe it's courage to walk along someone else, alongside someone else who's facing something they never wanted to experience. In what area of your life do you need courage? And then coinciding with that, journaling with that, or praying through that question with God throughout this week, I also will challenge you to memorize Joshua 1 verse 9. In, 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 um, in concert with that or hand in hand with that. Because in what area do I need courage? And then Joshua 1 verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Put Joshua 1 9, you know, somewhere that you're going to see it. Maybe put it on your phone wallpaper so every time you look at your phone, you're reminded of it. Put it um, by your mirror. Put it by wherever you get ready. Put it in your car when you're driving to work. I mean, whatever it is, but try to memorize Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what area do you need courage? And memorize Joshua 1.9. And if, if that encourages you or challenges you, then start memorizing some other verses that have to do with courage. But we'll leave it at that one for now. Now to go back to where we started. I'm standing in the pool, able to barely make it. A dozen times have gone by when it's at least, you can do it. I'm here with you. At least sitting there. At least getting up. At least walking to the side, watching someone else go. Sitting there getting up, walking to the side, watching someone else go. And I was always ready, but I didn't know if or when she was going to take courage and go down the slide. And then all of a sudden, she did it. And she's sliding down, and I'm like, okay, Dad, this is your one time to not mess things up, right, after all this. And so comes down grab her, catch her before she gets in the water. At this time, there were some other people who were cheering for her, and it was just it's so celebrating the moment that your daughter takes courage because it allows her to know that she can do hard things, that she is able and capable of being able to face difficulty, and that as a dad, you're able to give courage. Will she take it or leave it? She took it, and you celebrate. That the cowardly lion, if you see it, the, at, at one point he ends up getting, what does he get? He gets a medal that says the word courage. One of the lines that he shares when he talks about a, a poem for courage says, What makes a king from a slave? Courage. So 
we are no longer slaves of fear. But we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We can take courage. And in the Smyrna church, Jesus encourages, he pours courage into them. That they're going to face persecution. We will face persecution or suffering or difficulty or pain or heartache. We, God, Jesus never promises that we will be without suffering. But Jesus gives us suffering, or excuse me, gives us courage to face the suffering. The question is, will we take it? Or will we leave it? If I could go to each one of you who is here today and give you that medal that just says courage, I would just give you courage. Pour courage into you tonight. Not because I have the ability to be courageous enough for all of you. But Jesus gives us courage. Will you take that medal? Will you take that courage and, and put it upon yourself throughout your life? As the lion is able to wear it. Or will you leave it on the floor, disregard it, forget about it, and live with worry from the past that we can't change to the future that we can't control and be stuck in the middle, forgetting that Jesus is the first and the last, and he holds the middle. And will we be able to say that we are faithful, not perfect, don't we have it all together, make mistakes, but we're faithful, and in so doing, receive life as the victor's crown, to receive the peace of knowing that we need not be separated from God because we are faithful to the one, holding on faithfully to the one who holds on to us. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time that we can dive into your word together, Lord. And I pray that, um, that you are just speaking to each and every person here, Lord, that everyone who's um, part of the service, this is the message you needed them to hear tonight. So we take great solace and encouragement, Lord, knowing that you know our hearts well enough to know what we needed to hear this time. Father, I pray that you would give us courage in areas that we are fearful. That as you've been in the bottom of the pool saying, come here, I've got you, I'm your dad, I will catch you. And we've gotten up and sat down and gotten back up again and watched someone else take courage. And we've waited and waited and put it off and put it off. May we know that when we take courage and slide, you'll catch us. May we know that when we take courage, you'll give us the ability to not be cowardly anymore. That you would move us from being slaves, daughters and sons of the king. And that we, like the Smyrna church, would be able to wear a crown that does not fade. But a crown that would last for eternity. So that we could spend eternity with you, Jesus, the first and the last, the one who died and came back to life. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 